0: You like drinking, but maybe you want something special. Maybe your favorite beer could use a little something special. Maybe honey or cinnamon, maybe even more hops. If only you could make it yourself, you could teach them how it's done. Today we'll talk about how some people put their money where their mouth is and just decide to make their own beer through home brewing. We're going to talk about this growing hobby, how you can start doing it, and how to be your own private brewmaster. So come in and have a drink. Welcome to the show where you learn along with us about the glorious drink called beer. I'm Brittany Lee Walker.
1: I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. And today, to help us kick off our first in a regular series about home brewing, we've got our friend and homebrewer, Casey Price.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Good to have you. Welcome, welcome. Excellent. Yeah, so no. oh, we good. just uh, we just finished up National uh, Learn to Homebrew Day here a couple of days ago, and and we did a few. Uh, Homebrew uh, experiments, I guess, here at the house. Uh, we did an amber ale and a uh, blonde ale from extract, and so we're pumped about homebrewing this week. Good, picked a good weekend.
0: Yeah. Right <laughs> Timing. Yeah.
2: Uh,
1: oh, uh, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping. We have a we have a minor correction from last last week or two weeks ago in the last episode. I had called it left-handed brewing. It's actually left-hand brewing. Uh, In my defense, I had been drinking.
3: It's a simple
0: mistake. That will always be our defense.
1: Okay, and we'll
3: move right along with some news. Okay, a big story that I'm sure everyone's heard because it became an international story. Guinness is changing their 256-year-old recipe. Guinness has right. brewed its iconic style for 256 years, but this week the Irish beer maker announced a big change to its signature brew. By the end of 2016, the beer will no longer be made with Isinglass. It's a gelatin-like substance made from dried fish bladders. Okay, Sounds right. kind of gross. That answers that question. <laughs> uh. But a lot of articles are claiming that this would make Guinness vegan which I really don't think is actually the case. Maybe vegetarian, but not quite what, vegan. What what would be in there that would keep it, free, be, keep it from being vegan? Well, at this point, I'm not entirely certain, but because they don't know what they're going to replace it with. Oh, but right. Isenglass has been used widely within the brewing industry as a means of filtration for decades. There's a statement released from Guinness, and they've also said, however, because of its use, we could not label Guinness ...as suitable for vegetarians and have been looking for an alternative solution for some time.
2: Yeah, so Isinglass, when you put it in the brewing process, it like attracts all the yeast into clumps. A yeast magnet? Yeah, exactly. The way it works is it, it kind of just draws it to it. It turns into like a bigger particle, which then either drops to the bottom of the container... ...turns it into a bigger particle, which then drops to the bottom of the container... Or it makes it a, a larger particle so that their filtering um, equipment can go ahead and, and get that out of the beer completely.
1: Thanks, Mr. Wizard.
2: <laughs> There's a couple, there are a couple other options here that they can use. Um, gelatin would definitely not be vegan because it, it's you know, an animal byproduct as well in most situations. One of the things that we use in uh, home brewing is Irish moss, which is a, um, it's a seaweed. That also has a gelatin-like uh, property. Um, then there's some other other chemical-like compounds out there that would, would also serve the, a good purpose.
3: That sounds like it might be a good replacement because they have not stated what they're replacing it with. All they've said is a
1: state-of-the-art filtration system. They're replacing it with hopes and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to pray that it works, guys. Let's send it through. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the biggest thing is in unless you're you're vegan or you're vegetarian this probably isn't a big issue to you um, because it really won't affect the flavor of the beer a lot you, you whenever you get it in your glass and when you get it in your hand in that bottle you're really not going to be able to taste a difference. The only difference will be once they finally get it get it keyed in will be to be able to um to get the get the yeast out of the beer and once they're able to do that it shouldn't be a big issue at all
3: Hmm. Yeah, it was. It was never really hidden. They weren't trying to hide this fact from us that there were, you know, like dried up fish bladders that could possibly be in your beer. Because I remember in college when I, you know, people were like, Oh, they use fish bladders in it, and I was like, Whatever, it makes it delicious. I don't mean. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm. I'm thinking I'm gonna try and like stockpile a bunch of them before just in case. they make the switch. Just, just to see.
0: <laughs> For... Prepare.
1: Prepare. <laughs> it's. It's gonna go inside my fallout shelter. <laughs> for science oh no, sorry, I just flashed to to what Tuesday's going to be for me
3: <laughs> okay, yeah um, but for now, thirsty Irish vegans will have to wait according to Guinness, they don't plan to have it out until the end of 2016 which means for us over here it could be 2017 before you're actually finding any of this so you've got a good year
1: this this wondering about whether it's vegan friendly or vegetarian friendly is going to drive me nuts. I'm I'm going to yeah the article all, the article is, jumps back and forth. Oh yeah, I, I'm just saying. I'm personally just going to start trying to figure out why beer wouldn't be vegan friendly. Like that's I mean, going to be it's going to be me. It's going to be after we're done recording, me being <laughs> unable to sleep and up for hours. Just why? Tell me. <laughs> if somebody else can figure it out,
3: uh, let us know. But my best guess is because yeast is technically a living thing. I,
1: uh, I maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, so is lettuce.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, um. Here's, here, one of those interesting things is it all will probably come down to what they choose to filter it with in the end.
3: All right. We'll move on to the next story then. Our next story is going to be about Sweetwater. They have purchased Pyramid Brewing equipment. I did not know Pyramid Brewing had gone out of business and was selling but they'd apparently they apparently paid cash for all their brewing equipment, and like a, are like a double bag full of money, just throw yeah. it in front of
1: them, take it. It's gonna be like
3: <laughs> a bad '90s mob movie. You <laughs> know, um, as the article says, at last, a brewery based in the East will expand its brewing capabilities out west, which is a good point. Up until now, it really has been a lot of West Coast brewers moving to the East Coast, but Atlanta's Sweetwater Brewing has said that they plan to build a second brewing facility in the Pacific time zone by 2017. It's really vague, <laughs> which is, I mean, the whole article is extremely vague. It just says they're considering every state in the West.
1: All of them. <laughs> in case you're wondering uh, and you don't know uh, don't know what kind of beers Sweetwater may make, I think they're most... What's their most uh, sent out one? The Sweetwater 420? The 420 uh, the, is the
3: one I've seen the most. The Extra Pale Ale 420? Yeah.
1: You may have also seen
3: the Take Two Pills. Yeah,
1: and they've also got the the Blue, I believe, is another one of them.
3: But their label has a jumping fish on it. You, you'll know it when you see it if you're looking around. It just says Sweetwater real big with a fish. <laughs> yeah.
1: No I'm I'm excited for someone someone moving west it's manifest destiny
3: Yeah and not only are they moving west they are looking to stop along the way and build possibly a third brewery in the central US mm.
2: Just trying so, to think where we dead center be Oh mm-hmm. sorry with with pyramid brewing i think that they may have just outgrown that facility um They've got a lot of uh, – I'm pretty sure they've got a, a few different breweries out there, and the one that – um they were getting ready to close down. Was that the Berkeley location, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, yes. the article says it was the Berkeley location. The Berkeley location of it. So that that may they may have just outgrown that facility completely. I think it was in a warehouse, if I'm not mistaken. And,
3: oh, okay. So they just sold off the smaller vats and everything that they had there. They just said, forget it. We don't need it. We'll just buy new stuff. Yeah, awesome. go bigger.
2: Yeah, because yeah. that, that's one of those breweries out there that's really growing. Uh, one of the oldest breweries, I think they're 30 years old this year as well. Oh, geez.
0: Oh. Um, if you click on the pyramid brewery part of the article it talks about the company that, so the one that actually owns it, like it's more of a brand of the owner, uh, North American Breweries yeah it says that um, it's a company wide strategy focused on consolidating production at it's Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington facilities okay,
3: so so they just
1: moved production elsewhere yeah, okay, All right. good I was afraid like just a whole company went under and they just went let's buy them now yeah (laughs) Um, that
2: that same company, I think, uh, they own Magic Hat, uh, Portland yep. Brewing, Dundee. Oh, okay. And then one of the other ones that I actually did have a chance to try is their Hawaiian-based brewery. Um, uh, it's, it's, I'm drawing a oh, blank now, but how uh, many pineapples are in this beer is what I want to know. For yeah. a while. They have some delicious stuff. I actually have their tap handles as my tap handles right now, but they're <laughs> they're a really good brewery.
1: Okay.
3: Well, the equipment that Sweetwater was able to acquire in this includes a fully automated four-vessel, 130-barrel brew house, three silos, and over 31 fermentation and bright beer tanks.
0: That's
1: still a lot like of equipment. It, it like, they say, like, oh, we outgrew it. That's a lot of stuff to outgrow. Yeah, yeah. it
3: will. it's going to enable Sweetwater to produce upwards of 400,000 barrels at its Western production facility. Not bad. Half a million
1: barrels. So all we have to do is wait for them to get too big. Then we can come in and buy their equipment, right? <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: So everyone on the West Coast, you can start looking for Sweetwater beers probably sometime mid to late 2017 because that's – they'll have it open in 2017, but it'll take time to get distribution set up and actually get brewing. Yeah. That's probably a safe bet. <laughs> and moving on to our final news story for today – Dogfish Head, which brews the 90-minute IPA, which has to be by far their most popular beer, or the the seasonal that we have been drinking quite a bit of, the Punkin' Ale, they've been named Brewery of the Year by Wine Enthusiast. And as we discovered going through this article, was apparently not a thing Wine Enthusiast has ever done before.
1: Yeah, like, I mean... In fairness, their name's wine enthusiast, not beer enthusiast. <laughs> but
0: we're all uh, still at a loss on that one. But yeah. I mean, hey,
1: sometimes you just want to jump on that jump on that beer bandwagon.
0: Yeah, Ooh. I wonder
2: what they're trying to find here as the crossover. Like, what what wine drinkers that they're thinking are going to switch over to the the beer drinking yeah, that's, in, in probably,
1: so. that's probably true because I really don't don't care for
0: wine.
3: <laughs> I don't either, but it might be just that. Beers I, I, come into style. I mean, it really is. It's craft become craft beer
0: is is that especially I, the only one thing I could compare to wine is like some of the barley wine beers. Like that might be a good transition possibly. Yeah, yeah just right.
1: saying, I don't think there there's a craft wine movement going on right now, is there? Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, they got that back uh, whenever
2: California was fighting against the French, I think in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. There?
3: Dogfish Head was ranked 13th on the Brewers Association's Top 50 Breweries just last year. So they have – that's based on sales volumes. So that shows—that tells you that Dogfish Head is just leaps and bounds every year at this point, and they're expanding because we had a story a few weeks ago about how they sold off about 15% of their company just to expand.
1: Oh, yeah, that mm-hmm. was Dogfish Head. My head had it remembering it as someone else, but, yeah, that's right.
3: But yeah, uh, another thing that they were saying uh, for naming them was their appeal to adventurous foodies, wine and beer lovers who are looking for a wide range of flavors and choices within a single craft brewery's portfolio. Yeah, it's, I mean, (laughs) there are all kinds of insane pairings you can find. I mean, every guide you look at for food and beer pairings, they always go to some dogfish head.
0: But it helps that they also make some of their own food.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, they list some of it out in the article.
0: Their sausage is supposed to be really good. I've seen it at Whole Foods, but we've never actually had it yet.
1: (laughs) Mm, Sausage.
3: (laughs) Mm, Sausage. That sausage gets longer every time. (laughs) But uh, main reasoning that they give at the end of the article was because of this endless drive to bring fun and innovative products to beer lovers. Wine enthusiast names, Dogfish Head, it's 2015 Brewery of the Year, which I really have to agree with them.
1: I mean, they're, they're doing a good job. I'm just wondering, like, are they going to keep this trend up when we see someone for 2016?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, what, if, if you were to pick your Brewery of the Year for 2016, what would that be? I, I mean, know, they'd like, be up
0: there, that's for sure.
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me personally picking, I would have to go with a brewery that's just a few blocks down the street, <laughs> Braxton.
0: Yeah, Mainly it's hard like... when you factor in local stuff, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like, part of me, I know at least a year ago I would have gone West 6th here in Lexington, but that's also just because that's around the time, a year or two ago is when I, I found them, despite them being down the street. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean I would at Braxton or um Mad Tree Brewing in Cincinnati. Either one of those.
1: I'm honestly not sure who I would who, I you know what? I would probably pick pick Bells because I've really grown to
2: love a lot of their stuff this oh, year. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Bells or Founders, some of those Michigan breweries have really uh yeah. Um, yeah. really taken off.
0: Oh
1: yeah, and that hopcap finally opened up in uh opened up near me. Mm-hmm.
2: That's
1: a that's a fun trip. When you guys you guys need to come down sometime and
3: we're definitely oh, yeah. coming down sometime soon. <laughs>
0: well, then you're coming up here, so that works out. We're just going to be make a beer round at some point. Yeah, that sounds
3: good. <laughs> All yeah. right, so I believe there is a full reason we have a guest for this week's episode. We just didn't want to hear Casey's
1: sonorous voice. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just the icing on the oh. cake. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's get into that cake. guess today we're talking about uh, since we're talking about home brewing. That's why we did bring on our guest, our, our home brewer, I don't know if it's,
2: what's the word, extraordinaire? I think I should be the, the home brewer of the Have a Drink podcast, home brewer of the I mean, year. Our right, home brew so correspondent.
0: He's, he's, our,
1: he's our home brew laureate. Um, Brewing in the field. Like we're it. just throwing titles on him
2: now. Uh, yeah, I'll just go on after my name on the business cards from now on. So just
1: yeah. Have a Drink shows... Home brewing laureate. I like it. Alright, yeah. So, Casey, you, you do take a lot of time. You make you make your own beer in your off hours, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and some of those on hours as well. <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to work whether you're there or not. So That's
2: exactly <laughs> right.
1: Uh, so, is it legal or are you just, you know, one step away from moonshining? Well, <laughs> is up the until... ATF
2: going to bust down your door and find your, your kit and go, nope. Not allowed. We'll have, uh, what is it, Molly Hatchet coming in and and, uh, busting up my fermenting kegs. No, uh, it is legal, uh, and up until a few, I don't know, maybe three years ago, something like that, it wasn't legal in every uh, every state in the U.S. But uh, in the U.S. now, it is officially legal, Um, thanks to Jimmy Carter in – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Carter is the weird. one that originally made this – made the, the, it legal in the United States, but in – God uh, bless that man. <laughs> making homes and making beer. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, – he, in 1978, he signed in some legislation, and uh, in 1979, February 1st, it became legal in the United States to uh, homebrew beer as long as your state didn't have a law against it. Now, recently, we just finally got the 50th state – in the United States, that uh, officially can brew beer, and I think it was we were getting close to the end. I think it's uh, Mississippi or Alabama. Those were some of the last two states that uh, I want to came... say
1: it might have been Alabama because I think I remember you you playing for me some of their their arguments on the on the floor about why you shouldn't do it.
2: There is nothing quite as entertaining as listening to people that have no idea what homebrewing <laughs> is talk about homebrewing. It, it is kind of fun. like And try to make laws. These are the people we put in office. That's the sad uh, part. Yeah. With, with those two states, uh, it's finally legal to brew up to 100 gallons if you're uh, the only adult in the household, or 200 gallons if you have – Two adults in the household. Um, so does your wife mean you get to brew twice as more? That is exactly right. I can brew 200 <laughs> gallons because I, we got married. So that's – This is why you got married, isn't it? Don't tell her, and I'm not letting her <laughs> listen to this
0: podcast either.
2: So what's the legality behind that? Is it is it okay for you to brew it for your personal consumption? So each state has some, some – legal issues that are going on there. But um, what I'm going to say is just check with your local legislation to see what that is. You can go online and check that out on BrewersAssociation.org, and that's really one of the best websites for any homebrewing information. But whenever you go on there, you can see exactly what the legislation is for your state specifically. Biggest thing is you can't sell it. There's no – you don't want to be caught selling the stuff. You don't want to sell it. I mean it's something that you do for your personal use and the personal use of your family as well. Um, there are some stipulations that allow you to use it for competition, to take it to uh, be tested and uh, to be used outside of the house in that way. Um, in California, there's some laws that allow you to actually take your homebrew for a charity-based event so they can serve it at like a beer festival. Oh. And yeah, So you, the, the folks would pay to come into the festival, and you would have a, a charity, but your beer is the one that's being uh, handed out there as well. So that's that's one of the neat neat laws that you can you can check out there in California.
1: I've I know I've hel- uh I've seen some of the home bre- local home brewers in Lexington put some of their stuff up at some of the local uh, breweries, you know. They have a little contests and they'll they'll put a special one on tap that someone made and they gave them the
2: recipe for. Her. Yeah. Uh, so when when it gets into that stage, that's technically as far as the the TTB is concerned, the tax tobacco, uh, whatever the TTB, the the alcohol industry.
0: One of those acronyms. Uh, Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) whenever they get involved, that's technically a brewery that has taken a competition. Um, One of us home brewers has brewed a beer, submitted it to the competition, and then they've judged them and decided this is a good enough beer to be brewed at a large scale. So that brewery will pick it up and brew a – you know they could brew 15 gallons or 450 gallons of this stuff.  … … and sell it, but it's got the taxes paid on it. It's brewed through that brewery, so it's treated like one of their normal brews, but mm-hmm. it's that home brewer's recipe, which is really neat.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's got to be a nice little pride thing going on when you when you send that in.
2: Yeah, absolutely, but the, the neatest thing about it is because of the way beer is brewed at home and beer is brewed at these larger breweries, it's a fairly easy switch to take your recipe that you brewed at your house to a larger brewery, and they can just put it up on their system and let it be brewed there. It's basically the four main ingredients that you're going to see no matter if it's a home-brewed batch or a large brewery's batch. You're going to have malted grains of some sort in some form or fashion. You're going to have hops in there, you're going to have yeast, and you're going to have brewing water.
1: What's what different brewing water from regular water?
2: Well, whenever you talk about brewing water, it's you can use your tap water, but you want to make sure, first off, that there's no chlorine in it, and you don't want to use distilled water because there's not a whole lot of other stuff in it. There's a few chemicals – not really chemicals. There's a few elements that are in water that you want to um, have in for brewing processes. You want a little bit of chloride in there. You want a little bit of calcium in there. It's it's a couple of different balances there, but basically your tap water is going to be good enough to brew with in most situations unless it's really hard, um, really alkaline, or has uh, – A lot of chlorine in it, which in both of those cases, there's ways you can get rid of them. In most situations, though, you'll use just a standard filter. Um, You know those Brita water filters? They make larger versions of them that you can put underneath your sink, and it takes the chlorine right out of the water for you. Or you can even just put the water in a big bucket, leave it set for a few days, and it'll off-gas that chlorine and make it really good for brewing. Mm. Cool. So one of the things that you really want to look at whenever you're starting to get into brewing or home brewing in general is a place to find ingredients. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's an issue for me where I am. I have to travel uh, close to two hours to get to my nearest home brewing store, which is near but, me. Yeah, which is 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 there, and, and so it makes a really good trip. We go to Hopcat, have a few beers, go to the home brewing yeah. store. It's a it's a good little round trip, but I've found out that if I just buy in bulk while I'm there, not only is it a little bit cheaper for me, I can also brew anytime I want when I'm at the house. So I just go ahead and buy a 50-pound sack of grain when I know I'm only going to be using 10 pounds or so, and that way, I'll uh, I'll have it ready and don't have to travel the two hours.
1: Just saying, I've been up in those rooms when they're he's getting out some of the malt, and I can just <laughs> sit there and just smell it. It's a it's wonderful. It's delicious.
2: So whenever you go and and if you can find a homebrew store around you, that's great. Online, homebrewersassociation.org, you can click on Let's Brew and then find a homebrew supply shop, and they've got a lot of information there on where your local stores should be. Um, it doesn't list every store, but uh, it's a pretty complete list there. Now, if you can't find anybody around you that actually sells this stuff, Best way to do is go online and find a site that will uh, sell the homebrew supplies to you directly. It's completely legal to ship homebrew supplies through the mail because there's actually no alcohol that's being transported. It's, it's all trickier when you're you're trying to ship the finished product. But it, yeah, exactly. There shouldn't be many states that you uh, there shouldn't be a state that you can't ship supplies to. Um, there are some brewing chemicals that won't be able to be shipped by air to Hawaii or some of these other places. So whenever you're looking online, most most places you you should be able to get this stuff from. Number one, homebrewing.org. So that's different from Homebrewers Association. Um, homebrewing.org is Adventures in Homebrewing, which is, which is a Michigan-based brewing supply store. They're a really good resource. I've actually been to their brick-and-mortar store. Really, say, didn't we end up there one time in Michigan? We made a, a couple-hour, two, three-hour detour just so I could go into the store and check it out, yeah. <laughs> More of a Short. pilgrimage for them, really, than it was a detour. <laughs> yeah, I had this. This was actually why we all – the only reason we went to Michigan, I mean, was to go to the store. We, we spent a week in Michigan otherwise, but the store was the biggest reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then morebeer.com, which now has a East Coast um, distribution center, and you can get brewing supplies usually within two days from either one of those locations if you're on the East Coast. Or
0: West Coast. A lot of good resources. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really.
1: When it comes to like actually sitting down to try and make this sort of stuff, uh, what's what's sort of the things you're going to end up like your bare bones? I need to buy this so I can get to work.
2: The, the fun part about homebrewing is that you're going to have just about everything you need in your kitchen, unless you were like me and starting out. I was just out of college, had very few things. You know, I'm I'm trying to steal mom's pots out of her kitchen to brew my own <laughs> beer. So she'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, you want to start off with a brew kettle for sure. That's going to be a big a big investment if you don't have one already. Um, stainless steel preferably. The larger the better, but you want something between 12 and 30 quarts if you're going to do a partial boil. If you're going to do a full boil, you definitely want to go for that full 30 quarts. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the two differences of, of partial and uh, full boils here in just a little bit. You also need a heating method. So the home stovetop works really well if you're doing smaller batches, but if you're going to move up to a larger batch, you need to go probably for an outdoor burner like a uh turkey fryer burner or something say, like
1: that. It's it's
2: Thanksgiving time, you should be able to find some some outdoor burners. Actually, you know, yeah, they should be everywhere on sale. And that's that's a great thing. If you want to wait till after Thanksgiving, you may even get a better deal on it. Um because, you know, how many times a year does somebody fry a turkey? Um, so so I you wonder wait if till... it's a Black Friday thing. Yeah. <laughs> I would say two, probably, Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> so those pots are usually going to be aluminum, which isn't preferable, but they can still work. It's not like it's going to hurt it. You just don't want to leave something acidic like beer in an aluminum pot for a long time. Hmm. So other than that, you've got a stirring spoon or a mash paddle that you want to get. This is usually like a long spoon. Um, if you're doing it on the stovetop, it can be a foot long, something like that, just a metal spoon that would be easy to sanitize because everything that, that touches this beer after it's been heated, you want to be sanitary. Um, you need an accurate thermometer, um, so there's dial versions, digital versions, glass versions. Um, you want to make sure it's food grade first off. There's a lot of these. Thermo pins are really good because they're fast, quick. Uh, it's got big numbers on it, so you can check those out really quickly. Um You want a scale that can measure large amounts and small amounts. So you'll be measuring in some situations the grain, 10, 12, 15 pounds. You want something that can measure that or at least do batches of it. So 6 pounds and 6 pounds makes 12 pounds. Um, And then you also want something that can measure small amounts. So there's a brewer that I know of that he's famous for saying, if you've got a scale that can measure cocaine, it's probably good for measurement hops. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, no, that seems legit. And yeah, that's – you want to be able to measure in one gram increments for your hops. The more precise, the better, because uh, in a small batch, a gram of hops can make a big difference, especially if it's a high-bittering hop or something like that. Um, <laughs> you want some measuring cups uh, so you can measure out your water. You know, The buckets that you get will usually have measuring marks on the side for gallons, but you want something in between that probably to to measure smaller amounts of water. And then one – optional piece of equipment most of the times it's considered optional when you buy a brewing kit um, i don't think it's optional i think you should definitely have one it's a hydrometer oh, yeah. and it's a piece of equipment that, that lets you measure the amount of sugar and alcohol that's in your beer and you could mix all of the ingredients together throw them in let them ferment and then take them out and bottle them but i like actually being able to know how much alcohol i've made what the percentage is whenever i'm i'm looking at this beer i want to know as much as Possible about it, and it's a five-dollar piece of equipment that, whenever you use it, you get a lot of information from it.
0: Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer.
2: Yeah, with fermentation side of things, you do need a brewing bucket or a carboy. So a carboy is a glass container in most situations, but yeah, sometimes it's not some boy that gets the car. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's oh. a like a six, seven-gallon glass, um, or it could be plastic tub-like device. Um, it comes up to the very top with a little tiny um, spout on it, and you, uh, small enough to where you can put a cork in it, and so you've got a, a seven-gallon container with a cork in it. Um, then you need, if you're getting a brewing bucket, which is like a seven-gallon bucket with those marks on the side, a lot of names like ale pale, trademark names that you'll see on the side, that's good. Um, you want a lid for that. With the carboy, you want a stopper with a hole in it. Um because you're gonna be putting an airlock, which is the next piece of equipment in top of in the top of that. It helps the beer stay sanitary while it's fermenting, but also lets that carbon dioxide escape while the beer's doing doing its thing. After you've fermented, you'll probably want to bottle. So you'll need some bottles from the you know, you can use Sam Adam bottles that aren't the twist off. You can use whatever bottles you've got out there. Reduce, reuse and recycle, kid. Exactly.
1: And that's <laughs> really that's yes, we're really.
2: We're going Captain Planet here. <laughs> <laughs> you take those uh, those bottles, you clean them out really well with some sort of cleaner, and then you sanitize them. They're perfectly good. It doesn't matter. I've I've gone so low as to ask my local uh, restaurant establishment uh, bar no, to save uh, me all the craft beer bottles and just put them in a, a plastic bag, and I'll come and pick them up. I've seen them you... do it. Yeah, it's funny. But <laughs> that's
0: good though. You know, that's a good resource.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Once you get these bottles, like they're they're good for as long as they aren't broken. So you can keep them forever. Hmm. Um, you also need a siphon tube or a racking cane. There's some auto siphons out there that are a lot easier to work with. One pump and it starts a siphon, um, with some vinyl tubing to go with that. Uh bottle filler, which is like a plastic rod with a spring loaded tip to it that when you press it down, liquid will come out the end. Some crown caps, like those caps that you see on those Sam Adams bottles. Those are the crown caps that have been uncrimped though um, they come I don't know they're three four bucks and they come like 144.
1: hundred and forty four if I want to save all of my bottle caps for the for the coming nuclear apocalypse for currency <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: fallout 4?
3: <for>. Um, <laughs> I mean it's coming it's it's sooner than you think it might be Thursday
2: <laughs> well that would be even better because you can take uh, you can just go buy these bottle caps straight from your home brewing vendor and uh, stock up on them that way Oh okay. Um, you'll need a bottle capper, which is a specialized piece of, piece of equipment. You probably won't be able to find in any other store other than a homebrewing store. Crimps the caps down onto the bottles, and then a bottle brush helps with cleaning out all oh, those yeah. bottles.
1: Get, get all up in there and scrub them down, because you don't want you don't want old beer in there. You don't you want know. backwash in your new yeah. beer.
2: Oh, God, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I'm, oh. oh yes, <laughs> um, one of the big things that I've done to cut costs in my brewing because that's one of the things that can get really expensive. There's a cleaner out there called PBW or Professional Brewer's Wash. It's an oxygen type of cleaner that doesn't have any scents or aromas. Mm -hmm. And so OxyClean came out a few years ago with an OxyClean free that has no aromas and no scents added to it. So this Powdered brewery wash is somewhere like $10, $12 a pound versus OxyClean, $6 for three pounds. So that that was a big, big cost savings for me there. Now, one of the places that I don't really try to save on is Starsan, which is the sanitizing solution.
0: Hmm. So there's
2: cleaning oh, yeah. and then there's sanitizing and brewing. No, totally those, different are, things. those are in fact very different things. Very different. Even, even, in just, even in just bartending. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, so yeah. When you talk about um, those three-section sinks, for anybody that's worked in the restaurant industry, you've got your your cleaning solution, your saniti or your rinse, your rinse, and then your sanitizing solution. That's exactly what you want to do um, whenever you're cleaning any of the equipment that you'll be using for brewing. Yeah, you you don't just want to assume
1: that you you cleaned it all. No, you've got to make sure something kills everything that is trying to hide
2: out. And it will. I mean, it, the little things will get down in there. You may think this is the cleanest bucket. You'll get. A, you'll pick up a bucket from the store that won't need cleaned. It looks really clean on the inside, but it's got tons of critters just crawling around in there, ready to infect your beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. <laughs> so when we talk about starting to brew in the brew process, um, it's a fairly simple process. Once you do it once or twice, you'll you'll be really um, prepared to to do it without any sort of instructions. But that first time you buy your ingredients, you'll probably get them in a kit form. So any of these beer distributor or beer supply distributors will have brewing kits that contain your hops, yeast, uh, malt, and your um, well, those three. You you gotta bring your own water. <laughs> but it could have some other things in there. Some of them will actually even have its own sanitizing and cleaning solutions. So uh, check with the kit first before you buy the other uh, equipment pieces from these places. But whenever you get it, you want to gather up all of your supplies together and uh, get everything in one place. You want to be able to have everything cleaned and ready to go in one place. So after you do that, make sure that your stuff is cleaned, and then go in and start your water heating. You want to to start that a little early because if you're if you're looking at a recipe – Um, it's going to say at the very top you need to put however many gallons of water and bring it to a boil or bring it to whatever temperature. Do that first because it's going to take a while on your kitchen stove to bring uh, that amount of water to a boil. It's not very often we boil one, two, three, up to five gallons of water. So put that on and then continue down reading your instructions. Make sure that you've got a good feel of everything that you're going to be doing for that day. Now, there are three or four different ways that you can brew the first one's an extract method. The second one is a steep and extract method. Then you've got a partial mash and a full mash or all grain brewing method. So the extract method is basically a dump and stir. You take, um, in that kit, you'll get a syrupy like substance called malt extract, uh, liquid malt extract, and you'll just basically pour that into a hot water and set it boiling, and you boil for an hour, and you should be done. Add a little bit of hops in there, you're, you're pretty much finished.
1: So what? that sounds easy, but it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot you can, you can monkey with in that.
2: Exactly, because there's only about five or six different varieties of malt syrups that are readily available out there. You've got light to dark and uh, a little bit of wheat added in there, and that's pretty much all you've got as far as that goes. But there are literally hundreds of malts that are – different flavors. So you've got malts that start off light in color and have a little bit of a sweetness, caramelly flavor and then they go all the way up to those malts that you're going to put into a porter or a stout that have that really deep, dark, roasty flavor to them. Mm. So each of your recipes. <laughs> yes, I know that, I know you I know your your heartstrings here. I'm pulling on them.
0: <laughs> oh, my heartstrings. It hurts. Uh, uh.
2: So each of your recipes will probably have a bag of steeping grains that you want to put in this water while you're waiting for it to boil and steep them for 30 minutes most likely. That allows the water to get in there, um, impregnate those grains, and start seeping out and adding flavor and color to your water. So when you put them in, you can get a lot of flavors from these grains, but you also have a tendency to extract some flavors you don't want. You want this water to be between 150 and 170 degrees in most situations. That's enough to extract the wa- the extract the color, extract the flavor, and a little bit of sugar that's left in there, but not extract what's called tannins. And the tannins are what make – if you're a wine drinker, the tannins are what makes it an unpleasant, puckering type of flavor. Oh. Okay. So that's so, what's
1: been ruining my wine all these years.
2: <laughs> if you've got a red wine out there, it's been soaked in its own stems and its own skins and so those tannins that are in the this grape skins, they leach out. They make your your mouth kind of kind of draw in and and dry out. It feels like it's it's getting dry and puckery. Um it's not a sour pucker, it's it's a really different feeling, but you'll know it when you feel it. Um, so you don't believe- want that-
3: that happened with a particular beer you may have left here around Oktoberfest that we decided to have at, and uh-huh. we each took one drink, puckered up, and said, oh, no, no <laughs> not no. this
2: one, not today. <laughs> so that that can get into the beer, and in a lot of styles, you don't want that at all. Um, it's It's really an off flavor, and whenever you What's... send your beer in for judging, that's one of the things, are there any tannins in it, you get counted off for that.
1: Is there a style where you actually want to use it?
2: Not the tannins that you get from – not that I know of at least – not the tannins that you get from um, the malt. It's, it's okay. an astringent t- type of tannin right. that you get there. Whenever you get um, high high hop flavors and high bitterness there, it can have some of that same thing but not not from the malt character. Okay. But uh, after it's in there, you don't want it to go over 170 degrees. You can even turn off the water, the heat on the water, and let it just sit there um, 150, 170 degrees. It's not real precise in this type of brewing. Um, After that, you'll take that baggie out, rinse off all the grains, and then you'll be ready to add in your malt syrups. You may even want to leave that pot off of the heat whenever you pour in the syrup. Because what's going to happen is that syrup is heavy. It's going to sink right to the bottom. And if you've got that heat on, it's going to scorch and your pot will be ruined.
3: Oh, I've seen that happen to quite a few people.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And so whenever you get that flavor in your beer, it's not very pleasant. So leave that pot off the heat and start to stir in that liquid malt extract. And it is going to be syrupy, really sticky. It won't want to come out of the, the container that you've got it in. But it is delicious. Um, (laughs) It's like a really thick pancake syrup, and – oh, it's it's so good. (laughs) So
1: like you are saying, what we need to do is buy this extract and just put it on pancakes. Gotcha.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to brewing being legal um, and through prohibition, they actually sold this stuff in grocery stores. And on the side of the cans, it would say – don't add yeast and water <laughs> and let sit for 14 days because right. it will make alcohol. And, <laughs> and so it's, it it was sold as an additive for making bread, malted bread basically. Uh, and they had similar warnings on grape juice, like don't leave out in
1: blah, blah, blah
2: <laughs> to get wine. <laughs> so uh, it's been around a while. Um, the malts that are around now are much better flavored than they were 20 years ago, so uh, if you tried it once and have never tried it since, go back to it. It's it's a really easy way to get into brewing. But you want to take this this malt syrup now, and uh, make sure you get all that, that malt out of that cup, out of that jug, and and get it into the pot. And You want to take that and stir it really well, and then after it's stirred and ready to go, um, bring it up to a boil. Now you want to be careful. Keep getting some temperature readings there, because once it hits a boil – you are going to be very sorry if you're not nearby. This stuff has a tendency to boil over at the worst times when you're not looking at it, and it will make your kitchen smell wonderfully sweet and make it sticky at the same time.
3: So so how is it that you've acquired this knowledge? Is this,
2: this first hand knowledge? This isn't just a one time experience thing. I, I literally I had no idea until I started brewing that on most ovens there is a lip that you can lift up to clean underneath the burner but above the oven and no oh idea. yeah yeah i'm just <laughs> i'm just
1: saying i I've, I've known casey a long time and i know that his own personal version of hell is for everything to
2: be sticky <laughs> <laughs> yes. so right but uh but yeah so watch it whenever it's getting close to a boil you may want to back it off just a little bit and, and be gentle at the very early part of that boil until it gets to the stage that's called the hot break. And that's when the proteins that are causing all this boil to happen, all this this foaminess to come up, those proteins will start to coagulate. And at this stage the beer will actually become a little bit clearer because those proteins have been taken out. And you'll get these clumps in there that that look like little tiny particles, little chunks, like curdled milk almost that are that are swirling around in there. And uh, you really can't can't taste them that well, but when they start forming that, you're probably good to turn the heat back up just a little bit and start your timer. Most of the time, it's going to be a one-hour boil. So with that one-hour boil, you'll start your timer, put in your hops, and you'll be good to go for um, for for boiling your hops. Now, most hops you want to boil for 60 minutes for bittering, 15 to 30 minutes. 10 to 30 minutes for flavor additions, and then the last little bit will be for your aroma additions. Mm, Okay. So have you got – I mean, so far, this is a lot of stuff to throw out there. Have you got any questions about brewing so far?
0: Sounds like a lot of work, let me just say.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a lot of work, and I'm kind of lazy. Well, this is really simple. Um, If you are – it's basically like boiling water and then adding some pancake syrup to it. At this point, that's that's pretty much the very basic part of brewing is boiling, then adding pancake syrup. I mean, that's that's the gist of it. And then you add a little bit of seasoning, which is the hops, and you're good to go from there for an hour. If you just want a good, um, good semi-bitter beer, you're good to go from there. No hop aroma. Um, the beer we did yesterday, we threw in a little bit of steeping grain, but we had a one-hour addition of hops, 60 minutes. We walked away and didn't have to do anything for the next hour, so ready to go from there
0: huh.
2: so after this um, while everything's boiling, you want to start sanitizing your equipment so that star sand that I mentioned earlier you want to mix up a solution to that maybe in a spray bottle in a big bucket um, depends on how much you need of it but start using that sanitizer solution to sanitize your buckets or your carboy depending on what you're going to use. Um, After it's been boiling for the hour, you're going to want to now chill your wort down. So up until this point, this is all called wort. Um, It's not beer yet until you add the yeast. So we're going to take that wort, and in that pot, we're going to just pick the pot up, take it over, and put it into our sink, which is going to be filled with a little bit of ice and a little bit of water, enough to just basically surround the pot, chill it down really quickly. The quicker you chill this down, the better flavors, the better clarity you're going to get out of the beer.
1: When you say quicker, so you mean like if somehow you got your hands on some liquid
2: nitrogen, you could just. You know, that's an interesting question, because if you could get your hands on some, some, well, no, I won't tell anybody to do this.
1: No, I'm not um, saying yeah. to get dry right. ice or anything. I'm just but saying like
2: if you could chill it down quicker, it's going to be definitely better for the beer. Um, right. You want to make it. You want to make it as as cool as uh, you can uh, I just wanted to go to like the most to the extreme to see how far we could go yeah so that uh, whenever you go into a professional brewery they're probably going to have what's called a plate chiller and on one side of that plate is going to be a glycol solution and on the other side is going to be your beer so they never touch each other but they're running past a um, they're running past a, a copper plate that basically separates the two and chills it down really quickly and that, that glycol, it gets really cold, and so by the time that beer passes the, the plate chiller, it's going to go from 212 degrees down to you're going to see it at 70 degrees or lower probably by the time it's coming out of that plate chiller Oh wow! In just a matter of seconds. Yep. So whenever you do that and you get it chilled down, you toss that in your bucket. You want to throw uh, any sort of extra water. So if we did this as like a half-boil method, Um, you're going to boil like two and a half gallons with the malt, pour that in, then you're going to pour another two and a half gallons worth of water on top of that to um, deconcentrate it and to make sure that it's also the right temperature. Um, When you're about 70, 75 degrees there, you can now take that yeast that you've got. You'll probably get a little powdered yeast packet, maybe some uh, liquid yeast packets or liquid yeast uh, containers. If it's a, a, nicer kit, a higher-end kit, but you'll want to dump that in, put your airlock and your lid on, and then start shaking that bucket for five, ten minutes because that yeast needs oxygen in order to reproduce. And so you want to take all the oxygen that's in the head of that barrel, the top of that bucket, and get it into solution.
3: So are you, on a small-scale operation, manually shaking this, or do you have, like, a paint can shaker or something doing (laughs)
2: it for you? So it's only a five-gallon bucket, so you can shake it manually fairly easily. Um, I also, whenever I I brew now, I've got pumps that will pump the the wort up pretty high. And so I'll be dropping it from like a five-foot drop, and when it splashes into the bucket, I get a lot of oxygen that way as well. And then in the professional brewery and for the high-end brewer at home, there's a uh, gaseous oxygen that some welding supplies places will sell. Take that put it in an aerator, and throw that into the bottom of the beer bucket, which will aerate it with pure oxygen. Oh. So that sounds like the lazy method that I would prefer. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Oh. I
2: mean, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's, it's much, much easier.
1: I mean, he's willing to pay for lack of
2: effort. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you got it sealed up and everything, you throw that airlock on there. Fill that airlock with a little bit of vodka or sanitizer solution. Um, you can drink it afterwards if you want. I wouldn't suggest it, but that's going to kill just about anything that tries to fly into your beer. It's going to get rid of any any sort of bacteria that's around, and whenever you've uh, you've got a beer that you, you start to pick up and it sucks a little bit of that liquid solution back down from the airlock in, it's good to know that it's vodka and not some sort of, of water that's set there and, and gotten real gross over the last week or two. Right, correct. Right. Um, once you've done that, you're ready to just let it sit to the side and store it for a week or two. Um, that yeast is going to start chowing down on the, the sugars that are in the wort, and when you get done with that week or two, you're going to have what uh, what's really considered a, a completely fermented beer. Um, that beer is going to be low on the carbonation, but it's, for all intents and purposes, drinkable at that point.
0: Hmm. Is a week pretty standard then, or?
2: When you look at the yeasts that we've got right now, um, a brewery, a professional size brewery, is going to be probably a week, six, eight days, somewhere in there with the yeasts as far as chowing down on a normal-strength beer. Now, whenever I go out and I'm looking at a high-strength beer that's got a lot of sugars to go through, Or lager fermentation that's not going to be in the 65 to 70 degree range. It's going to be down in like the 40s and 50s, probably, probably closer to the 50 degree range. Um, Whenever I'm looking at that sort of beer, it's going to take longer just because those yeasts are a little bit slower acting. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to take a little bit longer to do that lager. But you can monitor and see how long it's taking. When you watch, that little airlock is going to start bubbling and you'll see a lot of activity in that airlock. So, in about 12 hours, 24 hours, maybe a little bit longer, you'll start seeing some activity. It'll stop, start bubbling, and then when it stops bubbling, wait a few more days, and then make sure that the beer is completely done. Um, you may want to shake it just a little bit to rouse some of that yeast up in, from the bottom up into solution, and then uh, you'll be ready to uh, go from there. All right, yeah. so it's it's technically beer at this point, but it's maybe yeah. not… It's not finished though, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's beer, but it's not going to taste really good because it it'll, it'll taste like flat beer. Like if you took a beer, poured it out mm-hmm. in a glass, and let it sit on the counter until it warmed up, that's what's going to fla- be flavored like, um, which isn't delicious in most situations. No. Um, now you'll want a probably bottle or keg. I switched to kegs. I still keep a lot of bottles around. Doesn't mean I use them. Uh, I just have them there to in case I ever want to go back to it. Well, bottles
1: are a lot easier to get a hold of than it is to get a hold of a keg.
2: Yeah, for... kegging systems are are expensive, and you've got to have a kegerator to go with it or, or a keyser or something along those lines to to dispense the beer. But uh, when you go with the, the bottling method, you put your um, wort, you, you soften it over into another bucket off of most of that yeast. You want a little bit of yeast in suspension still, but not a lot. Um, you want to leave most of that stuff that's called trobe or trub uh, behind, and uh, it's in the bottom of the bucket. You want to leave it there. That's the old hop matter. That's the old proteins. Leave that behind because it's not going to taste good in your beer. You want a little bit of that yeast, though, that uh, that's in the solution, and some of it's, at, it's on the very top of the bottom. And you want to pull that over into another bucket. Now, the bottling bucket will have a little spigot at the end, um, so you'll want to add in your sugar at this point, uh, priming sugar. So uh, about five ounces of priming sugar. Uh, … to a cup or so of water will give you a good solution to recarbonate the beer in the bottle, referment in bottle. So we did that story earlier about uh, Sweetwater Brewing, mm-hmm. and they did a method of forced carbonation where they would inject CO2 into their their beer and then bottle it probably under pressure in order to keep the carbonation in the beer… When it's in bottle. But recently, and I think 2013, they switched over to a method where it would re ferment inside the bottle just like we do in home brewing. Oh, yeah. Okay. It helps absorb some of the oxygen that's going to be in that bottle, which is good. Um, and then it also leaves a little tiny layer of yeast at the very bottom as well. So that yeast in just about any style except for like a wheat beer, you don't want to rouse that yeast and get it into the bottle. Um, you don't want to drink it usually. You need to <laughs> add that sugar, boil it in about, about a cup of water, and then pour that into your bucket with the, um, with the beer. And then you're ready to take that beer, pour it into your sanitized and cleaned bottles, put some sanitary caps on top of them, and then uh, wait another three to four weeks until they've fermented again and became... You know, beer, ready to bottle, ready to drink and chill and, and take to your friends.
3: So if I were truly lazy, I could really just pay someone to do this for me and give me the finished
1: product. Yes. <laughs>
2: I mean, you may not even have to pay them. They may give it to you as a gift. <laughs> that's that's a really good question because um, it, it's a really interesting uh, conundrum that you run into as a home because – People come up to you and they're like, "Oh, you brew beer? Can I buy some?" And I'm like, "No, not really. And I can give you a bottle or two, but, but you know, you really can't buy it off of me. And and I, read I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> exactly. And I read a story the other day about some some guy who is working overseas in a uh, in a consulate, and some of the other people in the consulate want to buy his beer in order to use it for official events and it's it's a real sticky situation, even if he's outside the United States, he still has to obey some of the laws and and so in Fantastic. that, situation, yeah, so you know in that situation, it gets a little sticky now, I mentioned gifts
1: Casey did once gift uh the gift of beer to to a young man about to get married, Chris. And it was delicious. Yeah. I believe we
3: all I don't think there was a single bottle of that left that you brought really, with you. There was
1: there was one I think there might have been one person who wasn't in the mood to drink or didn't want to drink, and I, I
2: stepped up and I took that bottle for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the Walker Whiskey Ale. Um in honor of uh the marriage here of, of our brewing hosts. Um <laughs> I uh decided And I never that.
0: got to try that. Oh no, I may have a <laughs>
2: bottle set back somewhere. Oh, let me just say it was good. <laughs>
1: I drank, I drank it for you, Brittany. It was, it was
2: oh, good. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of barrel aging going on, and and I think that that's one of the big big areas that has has kind of drowned the beer market so far. But we did a barrel aged um, <laughs> ale that was also had a. I think a fifth of Johnny Walker Black whiskey yep. in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow.
2: And it was it was a really good blend. <laughs> it was it was alcoholic, I'll say that. <laughs> it was it was
1: pretty strong.
0: <laughs> One would imagine, yes. Oh, but it was
1: good.
2: I think it turned out to be about 9% alcohol, somewhere around 250 calories and uh, and it was a it was a not overpowering with the alcohol beer.
0: Worth every drop, I'm sure. From the calorie <laughs> thing.
2: Oh, yes. All
1: right. Well, that, that takes us through the, the basic process of a regular brewing. Uh, there's there's a lot more to brewing, but maybe we'll save some of that for, for a later day.
3: Yes, there will be many more episodes where we have Casey on to explain some more
1: intricate methods. We like Casey. We want to keep bringing him back, and we don't want to, <laughs> you know, shoot our load right now. You're not we too hope, We hope either.
0: to check in uh, on any brews in the future that you might be doing. So that when we bring you on, we can see, okay, now what are you up to now? Because I imagine, you know, you've done them for special occasions, and, and I wonder if, like, do you do them for, for special seasons as well? Or
2: Yeah, so the seasonal beer aspect is really neat with home brewing because we don't have to have a whole lot of a specific ingredient. You mm. know, whenever all these brewers that are making pumpkin ales are fighting over, you know, who's going to buy out this entire farmer and his entire 700 acres of pumpkins, um, we can just go to the store and pick up a can of pumpkin any time of the year. So, right. <laughs> uh, or, or go get a, a fresh pie pumpkin. Um, so it, it's nice to be able to be able to just approach just, those ingredients fairly easily. I'm just picturing a whole pumpkin pie that you just throw into your wort and like go cook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yum. <laughs> um, not to
2: not to take up too much here, but there are some really neat methods to brew um, out there. You can basically brew with just about any cereal grain. Um, a lot of these beer brewers out there, the macros, the, the Budweiser's and, and the like use rice and corn in order to lighten up the flavor in their beers. Um, I, don't know. But, I want to brew sometime with a Rice Krispie. Uh, <laughs> you you can actually take some of the rice cereals like uh, Rice Krispies um, and brew with those, or Lucky Charms are a real interesting brewer. Oh, God. Are those magically yes. delicious? <laughs> Or instead of using uh, oats or uh, something like that in your brew, use, like, sugar smacks.
1: Okay, um, hold on.
2: What about, what about, uh, what about tricks?
1: I have not tried that's a, not good that, that's <laughs> not a That's not real food. I'm not, not really saying bad. it's going to be good. I'm just saying. How about or fruit Fruity grapes? Pebbles. Like, I'm just saying, like, let's try something bizarre. Oh. I'm not um, saying it's going to be good. I just want it out there for an experiment. But. Yeah.
2: We, we, if, you, if you want me to, I will brew some fruity pebble beer and let you see that. <laughs> I'm not saying I won't at least try it.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna put this out there. I will definitely drink that. All right then.
2: That's that's the that's the challenge.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this, again, we've we've established that brewing is a little bit of work. It's it seems to be a pretty fulfilling hobby if you like it. You know, if you're willing to put the time in. But if you're lazy, I mean, and I mean like me and Chris level lazy. No, throw uh, me in there too. I can't cook the rest of us <laughs> level lazy you need to go look up the pico brewer
0: yeah need... this thing looks amazing
1: yeah, uh, it's a kickstarter right now uh, i believe there will be a link in the show notes to yeah but and if you don't yeah you know, if you don't feel like going there you can just search kickstarter i'm pretty sure pico brewer will pop up
3: but yeah it's it's really stupid easy it's almost a cure egg version of home brewing
0: but so not as quick you still do have to wait a week for the the yeast to to do its business there, and uh, there's the transferring into a keg afterward that shows like a bunch of mini kegs. Uh, the video is really interesting, though, and Pico has actually already partnered with Rogue and Dogfish Head. Nice. And it's less wasteful than the Keurig because all of the packs that you get of the hops and um, grains are compostable, oh. which is pretty nice. Um, we also
3: have a local brewer who is going to be making packs for it, Mad Tree.
0: Right. Yeah, Mad Tree out of Cincinnati, and then uh, yeah, it's been covered just about everywhere. Um, we're gonna share the link to the Kickstarter page as well as the Verge article. They had a goal of two hundred thousand dollars. They're at eight hundred seventy-four thousand. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and they still have twenty-two days to go. So go back
1: it. You're gonna get your brewer. You can, well, okay? You can back it for twenty dollars. Just get a shirt, or you can back it for, I believe, almost six hundred dollars and then they'll send you
2: a brewer. Yeah, so originally, at that point. originally it was like 500 bucks. The early adopters, I think the first like 200 people, it was like 500 bucks. <laughs> and they went, oh, God. Um, yeah, that, that was gone real quick, <laughs> and then uh, the next batch was, was I think, 550, <sighs> 600, 650. So get in early if you want it cheaper. Yeah, what are these going to retail for? I mean, That's what I want to know. $1,000? Yeah. Like $1, $1,000. Yeah. Oh, they, they're, they're actually going to retail for 1000 a thousand will be their retail price when it so comes So
3: go out. if you are really interested in this, go back it now. How uh, how much longer does it have? Twenty two days. Twenty two days from this
1: recording. Right. So November eighth. And the packs... days to make Six hundred dollars. Five hundred. <laughs> oh, all gone. All gone. Uh, there are a hundred and seventy six spots left for the five hundred and fifty nine semi early bird version. <laughs> Yeah, uh...
0: where you you get so you get the the machine itself, and then you get the one pack with it. You yep. get one pack, yeah. But it's there's a packs... marketplace that they have too, so you can go in and buy whatever f- recipe kind of flavor you want.
1: If I didn't have to pay rent, this just seems <laughs> right? really yeah. Like I'm like, come on, baby, I'd get it right now. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't justify that expense at the
2: moment. But someone buy it for me, not to give to me, but.
0: Now, someone buy let us instead know. Instead of me.
2: These packs, um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them because right now they've got some partnership programs that even homebrewers can start to make their own recipes and put them right. up on the website. You go through, you select okay, I want to brew um, a recipe that's high in hops, that's low in uh, alcohol. <laughs> And it's dark, and you can basically pick that out. Some homebrewers throw something up there, and that you can select and go. All right, this this one's been rated because other people that brew them can rate it now, and it's been rated four out of five stars. So you can this go is... in there. You can go in there and and find something that you want that um, that somebody else has created. And with this partnership program, they even can can get it to where you get kickbacks based on.
3: Oh my goodness! So this is basically taken like the. 3D printer. Yeah, that's the same thing to say.
1: This is the exactly. 3D printer
3: of beer, and yes, that's you're... why I was
1: giggling because I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" You can um...
3: 3D print your beer essentially, and you're just you download the recipes and just go. That wow. is absolutely amazing.
0: And it's not cheap, but I guess compared to regular home brewing, I I can't imagine that it's not comparable to something. You know what I mean? Like it it can't be much more expensive, if at all. Maybe it's cheaper. This could fit in my kitchen. Like,
1: the the major obstacle for, for someone in my position for homebrewing is, like, I just, I can't right. allocate the space Yeah, sometimes. like, we
3: rent, and we yeah. rent an
1: apartment, and you mm-hmm. can't really homebrew in an apartment,
0: but and with this... That's it. Yeah. You can,
1: you can homebrew in extracts in an apartment. I've got some friends that do it, but, like... You it's know, still it's not
0: been, a good idea. Right,
2: but... <laughs>
1: So uh,
0: I want this.
2: Pico want Brew also has one more um, thing that they've done um, prior to this. It was their first Kickstarter. And I think it went for $1,000 on the Kickstarter, and now it runs about $1,990, somewhere around there. Ooh. Yeah, but it's a uh, microwave-sized device. And whenever I first saw, saw the story, I thought that was what they were talking about. But it's a microwave-sized device that actually lets you pour your grains in um, you push them in there, you put your hops in, you hook up a five-gallon keg instead of the two-gallon keg I think is that comes with this one, and it does the entire process in two to three hours. When you're done, you take that keg off, you let it ferment in that same keg, and then you're ready to go the uh, same amount of time a few weeks later, and, and you've got five gallons worth of brew. I think that one's called the Zymatic, but it's, it's really nice for small-space brewing.
0: Yeah, they actually have that in featured in the video because it said that many breweries that start out use that machine.
2: And that's one of the things that you can do is you can take that to formulate your recipes. You, you put them in there. You walk away from it. You don't have to have somebody watching over it for three or four hours. That way um, you make sure everything gets done at the appropriate time. It does it all for you. And so – um, whenever you're a brewer and you've got other things you need to do you formulate a recipe you put in this let it brew to see what it tastes like and then you're good to go if you want to move that on up
0: right and then you're not making a massive batch of something that you don't you're not 100 percent on
2: yeah absolutely yeah all right so
3: all right we're
0: pretty,
2: well pretty
3: excited about it
1: yeah
3: well casey's come in here and learned us something today
1: all right well got, do we we've got right. something new this week yeah,
3: I believe we had some rare phenomena happen over the past couple of weeks, or at least since our last episode, and we've actually gotten some listener mail.
0: We got one! <laughs>
1: uh, oh. uh, yeah, we have emails. Uh, we've got uh, Brian from Denver. He mentioned he also loves the left-handed, uh, left-hand handed left milk stout and uh, had some suggestions for us. He says... Uh, Since we're getting into the holidays, maybe have a topic on the adjuncts in holiday beers, fruit, spices, etc. Along uh, with that, include some seasonal beers in your What I'm Drinking segment to inspire some listeners to try something new. Uh, Consider a food pairing topic, nothing fancy but along the lines of beer styles that go well with turkey or ham or the non-wine drinkers. This is probably a bit broad for a single episode, but I'd be interested in knowing more. And for drink suggestions, how about uh, if you have access to the new Holland beers and aren't afraid of a high gravity, Dragon's Milk is a delicious but potent. Uh, it's a bourbon barrel aged stout at 11% ABV. Anyway, I'm glad I found your podcast and look forward to how you grow the show. First of all, thank you, Brian. Yes, thank uh, you
0: very much for the feedback.
1: I think we, we've we got a, a show list where a couple of these ideas are, are put in our or at least mentioned for for future episodes we've got a food pairing episode coming up
0: actually yeah that's going to be coming up really soon
1: like thanksgiving-ish
0: time
3: yeah we were going to get into because this time of year is really we're coming to like the lager season and we were going to get into some seasonal loggers
1: because winter is the time for it winter is coming Mm. Uh, (laughs) and uh, i will say i've had the dragon smoke before Uh, me and casey had it it's it is good
2: we actually were served it by the uh, the brewer, I believe it was, or one of the brewers up in yeah. Michigan at the Home Brewers Association meeting. It was oh, delicious. It was
1: so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it and it is st- – like, you drink it, and you're like, oh, yo, no, this – Dragon Smoke's a good name for it. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's really good. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, let's see, I know we've got the food pairing one coming up, and is there – yeah, if, if we else. stick
0: with our our schedule that we hope to stick to, and and it's kind of subject to change, you know, wh- whatever the timing works out to be, but um, yeah, the the logger, the winter logger holiday stuff, and the food pairings are all going to be coming up within the next uh before the end of the year. Yeah. So, so we got a second email. Okay. Uh, an email from a of riches. In huh? A
1: of, yeah. <laughs> <spin> of riches. <laughs>
0: it really has been. Uh, we got an email from Tyler. Says. Hey guys, I would like to start by saying I'm loving the show and keep up the good work. Over the last Thank you few- very much. <laughs> <laughs> very much. Uh, over the last few episodes, I've heard you guys mentioning how you aren't keen on IPAs yet. Have you tried black IPAs yet? I know you all love stouts and porters, and I do too. I used black IPAs as a bridge from stouts to IPAs. They are still hoppy, obviously, but they have the roasty goodness of a stout to help counteract the hops a little. Give it a try. Thanks, Tyler.
3: Okay, so in the pre-show, we were talking about something with Casey about some kind of IPA pack or something. What was it, Casey?
2: Yeah, so Sierra Nevada come out last year, or this past year, I think it was. It was brewed in uh, December 3rd of 2014. And it's, hey, it's what I'm drinking today. It's the Blindfold... Black IPA, and uh, this was originally a homebrew beer. It was uh, featured, I think, in their Beer Camp series, which basically invites homebrewers into Sierra Nevada. You get to check out their stuff for a couple days and then brew on their big systems, develop recipes. Really neat.
1: I don't always like all of Sierra Nevada's beers, but I love the Beer Camp idea and everything they go into doing it, and so I I get kind of excited when, when another pack of them comes out. I
2: know. They're they've got the, the, the beer camp stuff. It's it's so neat and now they've picked up with the collaboration brews. Um and, and they've got a lot of really neat stuff that's that's going down. I think Sierra Nevada is going to start having an issue with them not being craft enough. Um Sam Adams has this issue, Dogfish wow. Head might yeah. run into this, and it's that that really niche, oh it's it's so posh to drink something that's craft. Sierra Nevada, yeah, I had that whenever I first drank beer, but, or f- first drank craft beer. That was my first pale ale. They're you know, that's smaller breweries now, though. Yeah, and so I think they're running into that issue. So whenever you look at what they're doing to combat that, I think they're pulling in these homebrewers and pulling in these collaborations to stay relevant when they're doing, who knows, I mean, millions of barrels a year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, when we got this email, I thought, I need, you know what? That's a that's a fine
1: point. That that is a nice place to try and start trying to find a bridge a bridge crown. I haven't yet, but I'm I'm on the lookout for some.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to explore I think different avenues of IPAs, especially with, so when we cover the IPA episode, um, we're going to talk about I think the different varieties that exist, uh, just like it with anything else, and hopefully we can all get or find uh, some of the big variations on I guess what we were thinking IPA was, you know?
3: Yeah, and we're trying to build an appreciation for what an IPA is supposed to be, not the way we perceive it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've through a lot of, uh, well, let's say, just through a lot of drinking with Casey. Uh, (laughs) uh, Casey's a much more IPA fan than I am, and I've had a couple of times where it's it's like, here, try this, and I go, no, that is an IPA. It's just (laughs) not always necessarily what I want, but it's it is certainly a good example of an IPA. I will say, like if I it's not as hoppy, obviously, but if you do, do the pale ale area, uh whenever that's uh put the nitrogen in there, that that makes it a little bit smoother for me. That gets me into that hop area, but it's it's probably still too smooth to build me into IPAs. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm to try the uh the black IPA sometime soon.
3: Yeah, and that it's... is I, I really wanna get to that. I've not seen one. Like I can't I'm searching through my memory and we had Just this past weekend, a nice little trip out to uh, the local store. We are creating some six-packs, and I don't recall seeing any. But now that I've got it in my head, I want to go back and try
1: and really pick some out.
0: Yeah, it's probably not nearly as prevalent as some of the other stuff.
1: All right. Well, this actually transitions pretty well into what we're drinking. Drink with me, friend.
3: Yes, it does. Uh,
2: Casey, do you want to run yours down again real quick? Yeah. So like I said, the Blindfold Sierra Nevada Black IPA, 6.8% alcohol by volume and uh, 70 IBUs. So it's up there, but that roastiness that it's got to it, that um, that extra flavor kind of cuts through the bitterness a little bit. And where it's a little bit aged, I can tell this one's almost a year old, which is old for an IPA especially. But where it's a little bit old, a lot of the aroma from the hops, I think this one had Cascade hops in it. A lot of the aromas died out. So it's got that high bitterness in there. Not a ton, though. And uh, the hop aroma, you can tell where it was, but definitely where it's got a little age on it, it's not as hoppy uh, in aroma as it used to be.
0: All right. All right. Um, Well, clearly we all went, more or less the same direction this week, <laughs> um, yeah. So Chris and I had decided when we were at the store to get something that we would otherwise not get, and we, we were are trying to get out of our comfort zones. Yeah. So I too got an IPA, and I thought I would try one that I've at least heard of. I know is popular. You know, start off start off a little smoother um, or safer maybe, but it's Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPA. It's like their oh.
1: signature beer.
0: Yeah, one of you them. You went so, out just
1: swinging for the fit. Like, no, we're doing yeah. this.
0: Yeah, basically, I just all in. Uh, so, they're, they're probably two out of their three most popular beers. One of them being the seasonal, are the the two IPAs. They have the sixty minute and the ninety minute. So, I went full on with the ninety minute IPA, and it's an imperial IPA. <laughs> and the uh, alcohol by volume is actually nine percent. It's... it's not a not messing around. So it says it's a constant 90-minute hop addition, but it's balanced by a ridiculous amount of English two-row barley. Now I've been drinking. This is so the first time I've not finished my beer by the time we've gotten to this segment. But you know what? The more I drink it, the more it's grown on me. Um, <laughs> like I I've, I've, I'm You're when I first there, buddy, opened yeah. it. Yeah, you can smell. <laughs> The hops uh. as soon as you open it, um, yeah, and it, I, again, I always joke that I don't necessarily like the flavor of hops.
1: I love the smell. Mm. It is a good smell.
0: <laughs> um, it, you're like, yes, this is beer. But, I and then I, I took a drink and was just like, this is uh, this is pretty hoppy. This is in fact an IPA. Good job. This is correct. But I, I'm kind of enjoying it now, and I'm a little more than halfway down the bottle now. But, yeah, I'm kind of a fan.
2: So, so you, you know that whole thing? Um, whenever, I don't know, Febreze does it, you can't smell your own house odor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's what IPAs do. Like, after a certain <laughs> amount of time, you just can't taste the hops like, anymore. Well, that Fine? was the,
1: uh, We, this is a little side story, but back uh, a few years back, they had uh, we were at Oktoberfest, and they Sam Adams had their little taste test. Thing and you had to pick out the IPA, the uh, the Oktoberfest, and the Boston Lager.
0: Mm.
1: And then we would always somehow pick the IPA first to try and immediately couldn't taste the other two, but you could tell them by sight. So Yeah, you had to
3: use sight because the IPA would just blow out your taste buds and everything was like, well, it's beer, I guess. <laughs> uh,
1: well, again, it wasn't bad. It was just I couldn't taste anything but hops. <laughs> uh, although speaking of hops... Uh, I didn't go full India Pale, but I did go with a Pale Ale from uh, Star Hill Brewery. Uh, it's the Grateful Pale Ale. Uh, I uh, This was just kind of left in my fridge. Uh, <laughs> I didn't purchase this. Uh, Casey did. So Casey on. has an effect on households. I mean,
3: you just open
2: your <laughs> fridge, and you're like,
3: where did all this beer come from?
2: I like oh. to be referred to as the alcohol fairy. Yes. <laughs> One That's how Halloween. we got to
0: taste all the beer camp stuff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: but... Halloween, we're going to have him dress as a fairy with a sack full of liquor. <laughs> but uh, unlike Brittany, where I opened mine roughly the same time, mine's pretty much gone. I have one drink left that I've been saving <laughs> for the last few minutes. Hold on. Yeah now, audible <laughs> gulp. It's a... It is hoppy. Uh, it's hoppy for me. And it's only... Uh, it's a 4.7% alcohol... Uh, but it's only like I think twenty-seven uh, IBU, uh, twenty-six IBU. So when I heard Casey say that his his black IPA was a uh, uh, was a seventy IBU, I went, "Oh, this one's <laughs> hoppy for me, and that one's a whole twice as strong." <laughs> All right, I mean, I'll still do it. Um, I'm not saying I don't like it uh it's just it is it's hoppier than my than my typical taste takes me but i finished it i mean i drank the whole thing so i mean that's that's a, <laughs> that's a that's a kind of a bad recommendation but if you do like pale ales i think it's it's probably a really good example of a pale ale
3: yeah and continuing with the theme because i guess it was really it was really that mail i think that spurred us all into this because we're yeah, like you know we're like we we really just stick to what we know this is your fault tyler so tyler i, I yeah, say you more
1: i drank a beer i wouldn't have drank otherwise so thanks actually
3: yes um i actually had uh ranger by new belgium it's an ipa it's a very good beer yeah i got to say i was really surprised it's the best ipa i've had i, I finished it and at, like the first couple sips i was like oh yeah it's an ipa but then I just eased into it, and I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd go and buy a six-pack of it, but if I get you know, a case and there's some in there, I'm not going to cry about it. It's about 6.5% <laughs> yeah. ABV. So it's around the medium range. I think you all were topping me there.
1: <laughs>
3: the, but, and
0: you, you're you above me. New Belgium is just, I mean.
2: Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, it's from New Belgium. I don't know if I said that. But... It is.
2: Okay. They they're, they're good. We like them. Yeah, they're fantastic. Finally started to distribute in Kentucky. If anybody from New Belgium listens, you know, thank you so much for coming. We appreciate Yeah, thank
1: it. you. Oh my gosh.
3: Yes, it's just been like in the past few months it has exploded out here. Oh
0: yeah. And kind of oh. tire as far as the eye can see.
3: All I'm thinking is they probably don't listen, but even so, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had New Belgium until I did an internship in California for a summer and then everyone that lived out there was like, "Oh, you've never had New Belgium?" And they're like, oh, "You got to have some fat tire." And then I had some and it was just it came back here and I was like, "There's no fat tire anywhere.
2: <laughs> Why is it gone?" <laughs> New um, Belgium was one of those beers that where where I live, it's it's on a state line of borders like three other states. And it was one that would literally take the hour trip over the state line just to go to a grocery store nearby to pick up, you know, four or five, six packs and bring it back. The Smuggle beer I drank to was
1: one of those that he, he drove over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's oh. funny. That's, that's just like uh, our, our one of our family members, when we were in Ohio all together, they, they grabbed like five cases of Yingling because it's only, it got as close to us as possible. It's only in Ohio because it's only an East Coast brewery. It only distributes so many places, but you can't get it in Kentucky. So he's just like, well, gonna stock up here. So <laughs> Let's load her up.
3: Just, Let's go. I can look out the window and see Cincinnati, where they sell it. Yeah. <laughs> but not not
1: on your side of the river. Yeah, not yeah. So much. So we're rum running.
0: Um, just a, like an add-on to what I was drinking. I guess it should have been obvious, but it doesn't actually say on the bottle. Uh, I was looking for the IBU because it's you know an IPA. That's an actual thing where there's hops yeah. involved. It's 90. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I just wanted to make that uh, be known. <laughs> it is known. Not, I was like, oh, a 90-minute... Okay, it's 90 IBU as well. Yeah. Yeah. So one of
2: the ways that they get that is the IBUs, is they put that early on in the boil. Like we were saying, the, instead of a 60-minute boil, they're doing a 90-minute boil. Yeah. And so those hops start a whole lot earlier and get a lot more time to bring that uh bitterness get it all out.
1: up in there. <laughs>
2: and then where they were they continuously hop it. That means like every few minutes they're adding in, oh, here's a few more, here's a few more, here's a few more.
0: Right. And then they dry hop it after they're finished, so it's like, oh,
2: <laughs> get that you, aroma. You, you Yo get dog. Some in there. Yo dog, we heard you like hops.
3: So we put some hops in your hops and served it up dry even. Yep. Served it up dry
1: on some on a bed of hops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh we've run a little bit long, but uh but I think it's been a good episode. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: It's probably been our uh, most educational episode yet.
1: <laughs> where, uh Casey, uh
2: how about you let us all know where we can find you? Yeah, so my personal address is at Casey Price. C A S E Y P R I C E. And but my my brewing handle is at brew how to on uh both of those are on Twitter. And then um if you want to know anything about brewing, follow that address because that's going to be the one that's got all the brewing tips daily. Um, it's also going to have, if you're not a brewer, it's going to have tips about like what kind of glassware to use when you drink a certain kind of beer. It's just really everyday type of stuff. But then on Untapped, you can follow me at Casey Price to see what I'm drinking. Yeah.
1: All right. Check us out at haveadrinkshow.com. Uh, there you can find our Untapped profiles and Twitter links, SoundCloud for the, for the episodes, and or Facebook to get a like.
0: All right, and uh, don't forget, like Tyler and Brian did, tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some feedback using feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. So you can also do that on the website using the link for feedback. Oh yeah. yeah.
3: Okay, and as always, we want to thank Alan Robinson for our show music and Lynn Peralta for the album art. And we really want to thank Casey Price for coming on here and talking to us about how to get started with homebrewing. Hey, thanks, guys. Yes, thank you so much, Casey. And we will have this episode up hopefully as soon as possible but remember to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and please rate us on iTunes.
0: Please, please, please. please, please, yes, please. You, you guys don't know how much the iTunes thing really does for podcasters, but it will help us out tremendously. All right, well, check us out in another couple of weeks for the next episode. And once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker.
3: I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker. Right. And see you next time.